iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to The Times. To find out more, head to thetimes.co.uk. Every goal, every game, everywhere. The Times and the Sunday Times, now with goals. Hello and welcome to The Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti and I am really excited because our panel last week was so good that we've invited all of them back. That's even Alison Rudd, who just made a little noise, which I'm sure was picked up on our high-tech mics. But yes, it's the very excellent Alison Rudd. It's Rory K. Smith. And the man who will run home from here all 18 miles to his residence in West London. It's Matt Hughes. I know you've been ogling him, Rory, so you want to describe how he's dressed? Uh, Matt Hughes today is wearing a Nike Pro Combat stin-tight leotard, very stimpy shorts, and thoroughly waxed legs. <laughs> Coming up, uh, we'll be talking uh, Palace and City. We'll be talking about how some people, especially Ollie Kay, are incredibly upset by Chelsea loaning out loads of players. But first, we got to start at Old Trafford. And Manchester United will believe this game shouldn't be as close as this heading into the final four minutes. But here is Martial. Oh, it's a wonderful run. Oh, yes! Well, there's the headline moment. Anthony Martial, a snip at £36 million if the 19-year-old finishes like that. In context, how bad were the first 45 minutes, Alison? Well, they were bad, but I think people were expecting it to be bad and were revelling in its badness because there was no one from Manchester, there was no one from Merseyside on show. It felt like the end of an era of a great rivalry. And so when you say no one from Manchester, normally from, from Merseyside, you mean like there's no player from Manchester, playing, no player st- from... In the starting 11 for either team for the first time ever, I believe. That may or may not matter, but I think people were scared that it would and that there might be a lack of passion, a lack of understanding about what the fixture meant, allied to the fact that both clubs have their own form of a crisis in the build-up to the fixture and so I think um, fans and commentators um, dived onto the fact that it, it wasn't the greatest piece of football entertainment ever and well, I mean you know I was I was at West Brom on Saturday and I, I can't believe that they were having a worse time of it at Old Trafford than at the Hawthorns but this is supposed to be one of the the fiery games in our calendar and it was for the first half at least nothing happened I do think that football fans and Football journalists also particularly have a kind of rare form of amnesia. I've lost count of how many times in a season, sometimes in a week, people say that's the worst game I've ever seen. Mm. It's the worst, the worst we've played this season. Will say an Arsenal fan most weeks. 
and I don't know if it's just our expectations are far too high, or we're you pro- grew up watching Huddersfield prone to mellow. Well, yeah, so my expectations are far lower than anyone else's. I think um, it, it functions. Hughes is absolutely right, but it functions with with the best ever as well. So I I, w- I was at Arsenal on Saturday afternoon and travelled back during the United Liverpool game and got out of the um, Piccadilly line no signal zone at Barons Court and it was just as as Martial scored and my Twitter feed which is full of United Liverpool and neutrals was all that is the greatest goal I've ever seen what a wonderful goal reminiscent of Thierry Henry and I saw it when I got back home and it was a good goal but I was quite disappointed <laughs> because it wasn't that good a goal it was it was he beat Martin Sturtle and then finished very well I'm not, not criticising Martial at all not saying he's not talented or anything like that but I mean, a Thierry Henry goal is cut inside, curl home from the edge of the box. That's a Thierry Henry goal. And it's, there, yeah. is, there is this tendency on Twitter particularly to treat everything as the greatest or the worst at all times. I thought the first 45 minutes, which I saw, were what Man United-Liverpool games always looked like. It was tough. There wasn't much pattern. It was a bit slower. The quality was a bit lower than it was a few years ago, obviously, to the teams aren't that good. It wasn't. I've seen worse games of football this season. All right, so your take-home is, oh, it was bad, but not that bad. All right, great. I thought it was absolutely dire. I think uh, this. I was especially disappointed in Brendan Rodgers. I thought this was one game where, you know what, you're under pressure, but you're not going to get out of it by, by, by basically playing rubbish football. I don't think he was trying, trying to, to play rubbish football. I think. Well, then you're saying he's incapable of playing good football, and we know that's not true. Uh, I think the, the side he has at the moment, I mean, that's a, whole, that's a whole different issue. I think right. the side he has at the moment is, as Carragher and Sunas both correctly identified, is totally ill-suited to the formation. I think there is no definable, distinct identity, and there doesn't appear to be a plan. The difference between these two teams is the fact that United scored three goals, um, one of them a penalty, one of them Martial uh, on the counter. And, of course, the first one was that set-piece routine. Now... I was struck by this. For those who didn't see, I'll describe as best I can. But um, like it was a, it was a free kick on the left hand side, and and Mata delivered it low and quite hard. I thought sort of uh, uh, back to to Dally Blint on the far side, who an incredible finish. I thought. But what was interesting, and it was obviously something that they, they'd worked on, a set piece routine was the idea was a bunch of uh, United players ran into the box. The idea being that they would take their markers with them and somehow clear the path. Except for Schweinsteiger, who instead of running into the box, he simply ran into Klein and just bulldozed him backwards. It was, it was a classic blocker or, or pick, if you're more of a basketball bet. Is that legal, Alison? Qualified ref? Yes, in that case, it was fine. It was fine. But you, you, you can have obstruction. Obstru- there's obstruction and levels of obstruction. And it's sometimes, just- it's, sometimes it's fine, sometimes it's not. It depends on, depends on the movement of both players. There's no, it's interpretation of the moment. But- it's not per se illegal. You know, you can go on, you can check out our, our highlights and make up your own mind about that. Second goal was was a penalty. And then out of nothing, we get this Benteke goal. Uh, the popular narrative amongst Liverpool fans is that Benteke was the one player Brendan really, really wanted. And he's the one player who's really, really performing for Liverpool. Ergo, Brendan is right. Am I correct, Rory? No, well, you are to an extent. He is, I think Benteke is actually, from what, what I've seen of him playing for Liverpool, he is doing what... Benteke does relatively well. He is performing as Christian Benteke to a an acceptable level. It's t- not so much that he f- doesn't fit into the team, because he's not John Hartson style bulldozer centre forward. Needs n- only needs long balls. He's better than that. But I think the way that he's 
he makes the team play doesn't suit anybody else at Liverpool. The whole transfer thing with Liverpool... But it's so funny, come on. ...is ridiculous. That, that every summer, and it's been four, four summers now, there's this whole thing that, oh, Brendan didn't want him, Brendan didn't want him, Brendan didn't want him. As soon as there's a player who does well, Brendan says, oh, yeah, I wanted him. Same with Coutinho, same with Sturridge, who are the two sort of unqualified successes of the last four years, that they've, of the 290 million quid they've spent. That, That's in gross terms, by the way. That doesn't Not net spend. wash with me at all. It's a pathetic excuse... And it is... I sound like Alison. It's, it's a joke. It's a joke that everything that is wrong is blamed on the transfer committee and everything that is right is, is credited to Brendan. Brendan is on the transfer committee. If the transfer committee fails, Rogers fails. Right. I, I'm, I'm sorry, Brendan, if you're, if you're listening. No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Alison, well, I want to get your take. Cause I, this was one game where I thought, OK, so Coutinho's not there. Benteke's up front. I presume Liverpool are going to try to sit, are going to sit more, which eventually they did. It was just really bad. This will be a chance maybe for Firmino to have a go and to find some space on the break. And he's up against Blind, who's not super quick, although I thought he was outstanding on the day. And it didn't happen. Are you are you on the Firmino bandwagon? He's Well, he's taken his time to adapt. I don't think... Well, it, it, I, I don't want to sort of just repeat what Rory said, but what Rory said is very relevant in this case, which is if you join a team and you're in a new league, what will help you a lot is if you understand what the plan is and what the pattern of play is and exactly what your role is to be. But he looks a little bit like a player who's not entirely sure. Is he, is he, was he pl- plugging the gap left by Coutinho or was he trying to express himself and find his own role? Or was he just trying to join the dots from a, 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 a bad-spirited, low-morale performance? That's not how a new player to the, to the league is going to, is, is going to shine. I mean, he may, he may well be much, much better than that. At this stage, I would not blame the individual. I would blame the manager and the system. OK, I'm going to try to ask you a question where you don't end up blaming Brendan Rodgers, uh, Matt. Um, You're a big fan of Brendan Rodgers, Matt, aren't yeah. you? You're still a big fan of Brendan Rodgers, Matt. Did you feel he really showed his true... Tactical nous in the game at Old Trafford. I don't think he had obviously a good day on Saturday. But the difference is, I suppose, I don't support Liverpool, so I don't expect them to win every week. <laughs> I think that's part of the difference. I kind of think you're Liverpool, you're average. Deal with it. It's the, the absence of direction and a plan that I think is, and it's not just that game. If you look at their last twelve league games, six to Stoke, three to United, three they've conceded three fours, four to Arsenal. It's the the, the direction of travel is inexorably downwards. No, I agree with that, and I think I was probably being slightly facetious, but I do think there is an issue in that since their wonder year where they obviously nearly won the league, people have been kind of waiting for him to fail, and he, mm. could, he could never live up to that. And People haven't forgotten it, but people haven't taken into account the fact that they've lost their best two players two years in a row. Replacing those players is going to be almost impossible, no matter how much money you've got to spend, and it's proved... To be so, Brendan's had maybe the because there's so many. I know obviously we manage Liverpool. And you don't do. You're not successful. There's always rumors and things like that. But do you think it matters to him that you know? Obviously, he's been under a cloud for so long, and there's all these suggestions out there. And I'm sure he reads the papers occasionally, or somebody read them to him that you know they would have made a managerial change if they could have gotten somebody better, and, and so on. Do you think that makes him worse at his job because he doesn't feel that that confidence around him? Or do you think he doesn't care, it doesn't affect him? No, I think it probably does have an effect. He's someone who clearly places quite high value on how he's perceived and his image and things like that, for, for good or bad. So I imagine that would affect him quite a lot and I don't think he's been helped by the club at all. You, you lose your, your both coaches in the summer. 
that's that's clearly kind of a warning shot across his bows, and it, there is a sense that he will go at some point this season. It's just a matter of time. I think it's it's that, and it's not Liverpool aren't the only club in that situation. It's, hap- it's happening at Chelsea, which I'm sure we'll come on to to an extent as well. It's that it's that sort of spiral, isn't it? Once you get locked in, you, you hear as soon as things are disappointing, you hear all of the rumours start to come out. There's lots of players who start to sort of get a little bit, bit unhappy, and the players. As results go go wrong, the players lose their faith and the fans lose their faith, which means that you, your home games are more difficult because the atmosphere is really tense and really sort of fractious and nervous. And it's really, really, it takes a really, really good manager. I don't think Rodgers is a bad manager at all, but it takes a really, really good one to get out of that. That's why clubs change managers so frequently because there comes a point where that manager can't really turn it around as all it takes is one you could lose 10 games and you keep your manager and then there's this reversion to the mean and you win five games and that's fine everything's great then you lose your sixth game and you're right back to square one and that's the problem all right uh moving on to a much bigger club than uh, um liverpool anthony martial you were impressed with his goal it's not that's um, not fair no no okay I'm kidding. no no but i know exactly what you mean and i actually agree with you i don't think it was what he did was particularly that special. I mean, he's one-on-one in the open field with Skirtle, who's played all game long and is presumably tired, and also, you know, it's a classic sort of quick winger, centre-back, been pulled across. He beats him, turns him inside out. I thought also he maybe got a slightly lucky bounce, too, and the ball sort of hit off his uh, hit off his foot and stayed in his path, and he put a nice finish, which is what... Yeah. I mean, I think that's what you'd expect from a £10 million striker, let alone uh, somebody cost what Marcel did, but... It did provide an incredible lift after what happened, after some of the skepticism, after the, the, the business with all those all those stories, including the Times exclusive about players going to see Van Hal. Allison, it strikes me that they need Martial or a Martial type because when I look at that front six, which may be what he relies upon for big games, and I made this point last season too, but this year it's even more obvious. Other than Memphis Depay, who didn't play well in the first half, that's perhaps the slowest, most ponderous front six you will ever see when you have Fellaini and Mata and Herrera, who's probably the most nimble out of the bunch, apart from Depay, which kind of says it all, and then Schweinsteiger and Carrick. So you, you, you have to get people with legs in there, right? Whether it's Young or, or whether it's, it's Martial, I, I'm starting to think increasingly one or two of those guys has got to actually, must play as well as Depay. In a weird way, um, Martial's debut sort of un- underline why it might have been a mistake to let Janazai go out because there may be flaws in his game and he may not have progressed as quickly as he was supposed to but he has pace and he can lift he can just, he can just lift a team if, if, if his confidence is there well it's it's peculiar the Marshall thing because no, I'm not going to say it right even if I try am I? <laughs> but I can't work out if that for him that's a a great debut and the best thing that could have happened to him or whether he sat somewhere now in a cafe thinking oh my god they think I'm going to do that every week or a Weatherspoons well, it's more likely in that part of the world right? It, well, he famously went to a, did he not go to a Weatherspoons or something on the eve of the game I'm sure I saw something on Mail Online some piece of Pulitzer Prize winning journalism um, <laughs> It's, there's a good, that's a good point, Vanison. That it's it's bad because it does set expectations really high. He's obviously very talented, and he 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 may not he may find long term adaptation harder than immediate impact. Right. But, but to be fair, Van Hal saying like he's yeah, yeah, you know yeah. one for the future, blah yeah. blah blah. Doing what he can. But I'm just wondering, like this season, like Hughie, will it might it be an issue? I mean, might we necessarily see a lot more of Young? Because I, I'm I'm not one of those believers that, that you know you need to have all these super quick people, and I'm you know how like Getting sometimes. 
Yes, I was just exactly what I was going to go to. You know, you turn on TV and it's and and you're like you know running in behind, getting in behind, you know, over and over again. It's like you know, there's a certain type of wind up pundit, uh, ex pro usually, uh, who it's kind of like like, like they, they they repeat that over and over again as if they had some sort of illness. But that said, like especially the way Van Gaal plays, if if you're going to have most of the possession, you need that change of pace somehow, right? And obviously you want Rooney to play, but you know Rooney's not exactly a speedster either. I never thought I'd say this, but I really like Ashley Young. He spent ten years being useless, but Van Gaal has done something to him. Mm. He carries on playing and producing as he has. He should be back in England squad. Really. It is one guy who can run enough, or do you have to figure out a way to get two out of Depay, Young, and Martial in your front six? Which leaves the issue of one matter. Who would be the obvious four guys? Or Herrera. I mean, I, I also don't understand. I mean, I know Herrera, Herrera is more mobile and athletic than. Matter, no, that's though, fine. But if you, but then maybe you, you, you play either Carrick or Schweinsteiger plus Herrera, right? And, and go more of a four-two-three-one. I, I was mean, really surprised that he went for Carrick and Schweinsteiger. It could have been almost an open goal for Liverpool. If Liverpool had a proper midfield, then they could have easily. Does that that is not a particularly dynamic midfield, Carrick and Schweinsteiger? I was really surprised he dropped Schneiderlin, but then you wonder whether maybe that was a, a little power play from Van Gaal saying, I want to control games. These are the players who give me control. Breaks to Nasri. Nasri back onto his right foot, cross come shots, built by McCarthy and finished by Kelechi Iguianacho. 18 years old, his first Premier League goal, and it's won the game for his side. All right, moving on to Palace and Manchester City's first against second in the Premier League. By the way, this brief aside here, editorially, if you're wondering why we're not talking uh, as one of our main games about Chelsea's defeat to Everton, we will in the um, quick hits later, but uh, it feels like we've talked about Chelsea every single week and their poor start, and we've blamed poor Branislav Ivanovic, and they're playing Arsenal next week, so odds are we'll be talking about them then. Besides, I think Palace hasn't quite gotten enough love. I know, Alison, you and I have been, people have complained to us about... You know, and I us. promised them that we would talk about Palace. All right, well, let's talk Palace then. You're Alan Pardew, <laughs> whose wife is Swedish. Which means he, he knows how to construct IKEA flat pack furniture. Exactly, it's, uh, or at least she does anyway. City's coming, you have to decide how to approach it. How do you approach it, and did he do it the right way? Yeah, of course he did. I mean, I, you know, you'd have to be a really tough of course you're commentator br- to say a late goal completely makes your whole plan of action redundant and stupid and naive. You, you, what Pardew did was was unusual. I think he went into the game instead of playing down the fact it was first against seconds. It was just ridiculous. Clearly, it's nothing of the sort. And uh, Manchester City are, uh, you know, they, they cost so much money and we're just a small club. And you know, blah, blah, blah. he. He really he went for it. He said, "No, I think we are better than the team that beat Manchester City last April," and he's right. They are a much better team than that. And last April, when Palace won, they won. They won just by executing their set pieces well. And City being unable to find a fifth gear, even though they had about 22, 23 shots on and uh, dominated possession. But the the idea that City have improved a lot this summer. I think when we did our transfer analysis, we thought City had done a really, really good job of it in the summer. And the players that were already there have improved. But Pardew decided there's no point thinking the gulf's got bigger. He's really pushing the idea that Palace... He had exactly the transfer window he wanted, and that's not politics or bullshit. That is true. He said beforehand, I I want to make five really astute signings that we need to make, and he's done that. No-one saw uh, Kabai going to, to Palace. He's transformed the team in training, he says. The, the, the players who have innate skill are now unafraid to show it 
he's improved the attitude of players. People are more prepared to take risks and go for it. There's a sense of self-belief. And, you know, to be fair to Palace, they have, since Pardew took over, overall been creative and fast and threatening. And he saw no reason whatsoever to change that against um, City. And I noticed in your notes, Gab, you were wondering whether he, he, he was a bit defensive. I don't... There was nothing defensive about um, Palace's lineup. Matt, Matt saw the whole game lie. Did you did you go into that thinking? Oh, I think Palace being a bit defensive here. I mean, no, I didn't. I guess you, really? look, you look at okay. The- can I, can I, so since, since 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 you've gone a step to me, Alison, before I let you answer, right? I want to give you my explanation for this, right? Okay. okay, it looked to me, and I might have got this all wrong. And again, they hung in there till the end, so I don't want to see what Chris Pardew is. Looked to me like he said, "Hmm, let me get all these fast dribbling types." And I'll cram four of them into the lineup because he had Sako and Zaha playing wide, as I can recall, plus Balassi and the other was punching, I guess, mm-hmm. um, up front. And we'll just absorb. We won't actually try to come forward with the ball. And the plan will be for Kabai to try to pick these people out and we'll break time and again. I mean, am I wrong on this? That, that's how it looked to me on my television. Uh, I think you are wrong, actually, because they did create lots, lots of chances. No, I'm not saying it doesn't create chances, but was that is that the right approach? Well, it would have been if they, if they, if they had the issue. The issue with Palace is they lack a um, outstanding goal scorer, and they certainly did on Saturday because Conor Wickham was injured, Campbell was on the bench, not fit, Bamford hasn't made any impact apparently there at all, really in training. And they saw uh, Thingy to Bournemouth, and like, they saw Glenn Murray like to Bournemouth. The fact that Hughes said that they lacked like an outstanding goal, goal scorer because Conor Wickham was injured. <laughs> <laughs> it's not quite what I was saying. <laughs> Young Roderick, but uh, yeah, they like. I thought they played well, very well Saturday. And if they'd had a decent striker, they'd have probably won the game. They had lots of chances. Sahar and Sako were very threatening. Balassi played well and looked dangerous without taking his chances. Dwight Gale had a great chance just before um, City City scored, but volleyed wide. I thought I had to admire Pardew really. They just went 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 at it from the start, and they've got they've got so much pace and power in the team. They will will cause lots of problems. They just need to improve their finishing, I think. They're a very Premier League team, aren't they, they're Palace? They're, they're kind of... Kind of Sorry, it's just so direct. No, but they're, 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 kind, of, they're like... kind of symptomatic of, of the Premier League as it stands now, which is that they're a team who are much more comfortable on the counter-attack than they are with dominating the play. They don't want possession. They want to win the ball and break. They've got those, those players with so much pace. And so, as Hughesy says, with so much power. I saw them against Chelsea. How on earth Wolves didn't get promoted with Sacco in the team? They should have won the league by about 40 points. It's can extraordinary, you, unstoppable. You, for those of us who don't follow the championship, who is the Wolves manager? Uh, Kenny Jackett. Mm-hmm. But they, I think Palace have a, a very clear plan that relies on them sitting and breaking, and that's, that, there's a lot of teams in the Premier League who play that way, and Palace are really good at it. They will, they'll be streaky this season, just as you know that they don't have a, a proper goal scorer, as he says, just as you know that Balassi will do lots of tricks but not really have any end products, just as you know that Punchin will be good for a bit and then bad for a bit. They'll have a bad run. They'll have another good run. They'll have a bad run. But he's built a team that knows exactly a team with with a real identity and a real plan, and that's to his credit. So Scott Dan and Sergio Aguero, I I watched uh, match of the day, and they actually had a debate about whether uh, that should have been a red or not. I, I don't know unless you're playing jungle ball how that is not some kind of that it's not a, that's not a straight red. What's and jungle the, ball? It's just a game where it's just a euphemism for a generic sport where people just beat each other up. Okay. This excuse that. It's not Dan's fault because Aguero's too quick for him. I, it's the kind of thing that just annoys me. To me, that is a straight red every day of the week. But I'm yeah, it was a red card. It wasn't the only one. I thought Torre on MacArthur was pretty bad as well. So it was it was a very feist, 
feisty game. The mind is at their usual. Uh... The train is now approaching junction at platform. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Spots Why don't players design? send people? Hey, the, the, the funny thing is, right? I mean, obviously, MacArthur's an important player for uh, for Palace. Aguero's a, an important player for for City. That's not, I, I don't mean to pick on you as a defender of referees, but like. Why don't they just start sending people off when they do this? Because sooner or later, somebody's going to get a really bad injury and then we'll be missing players who are important and we actually want to watch. What you're saying, we should send off players who attack players we think are expensive and good? No, we should send off players who, 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 who make stupid, dangerous fouls. Yeah, if it's dangerous, you send them off. It's, yeah. You just so have to interpret whether Dan. he was making a genuine attempt to get the ball. and the players, the players pay... You, that's the, the judgment you make. You can't well, send every player off for every foul that is mistimed. You have to, you have to think, is the action of that tackler was it? dangerous to the was player it? In, in control of the ball? And it was, it was, it was borderline. I, if it was me, I probably would have sent him off, but I don't think right. it was the most awful decision I've seen. I, I, I personally thought it was awful to that. And the Ayatori one, yeah, I tend to agree with you, except it angered Alan Pardew, so it couldn't have been that bad, right? No, I'm just kidding. We had, we had this uh, uh, one other aside about Pardew and Pellegrini. Obviously, there's issues going back to the time that Pardew uh, called Manuel Pellegrini an old bunt or something that rhymes with that, which is kind of funny because... Shut it's your a, noise. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, they got into it. This time, to be fair to Pardew, Looked to me like it was almost like Pellegrini who put his hands on him first, and the normally unflappable Chilean, uh, the Chilean Erickson, as somebody once put him, did seem to lose his rag a little bit. And even though they sort of made up and shook hands afterwards, when when Lineker talked, uh, asked him about it on Match of the Day, he was kind of like, "Oh yeah, yeah, sure, everything's fine. Yeah, okay, yeah, whatever." You know, I think he just doesn't like him. I think they don't like each other. It's it was weird to see Pellegrini kind of kick off. In that, when Pardew was out of his technical area, but then Pellegrini's never struck me as the sort who'd be really kind of defensive about his technical. <laughs> this is my technical area. Get out of my technical area. The, it was, as Hughie says, that the game was getting quite feisty at that point, and Pellegrini obviously took exception to a man with whom he probably does not share a particularly cordial relationship. But then, as everyone in football knows, you can do whatever you like, and as long as you shake hands at the end, then it's all fine. 
well, obviously I have more sympathy with, with Pellegrini, but in the video, the, the, at least the highlights that we saw, and I don't know what was before, maybe, I don't know if you saw it, it did look to me like you've got one manager putting his hands on another manager. And it looked to me like wherever, wherever Pardew wanders, you know, you can maybe shout at him, get in his face, get the fourth official involved. But Pellegrini did manhandle him. Am I making too big a deal out of this? Or we just kind of let it go? I think you probably are, yeah. <laughs> he touched his arm, Gav. He touched his arm. That's not manhandling. Pardew ran through the city technical area to kind of protest the referee following the, the, the right. Torre foul. Um, and Pellegrini took exception to that and took his arm out. The fact that they both made up on the touchline is to both of their credit, really, and we should kind of move on rather than treating it like Watergate. What I think is interesting, and you probably have an opinion, is um, Boney. Because every time I see him, I think, you're not very good. You're, you're, not, you're not a £30 million Manchester City Champions League winning goalscorer. And you would have kept for my, for my piece yesterday, I... Looked at his goal scoring record and it's terrible. He's got two goals for City I did in a, sixteen games. I did a piece. And can he? Can he? Ha- it's one thing. The point of my point being, it's one thing to be very good for Swansea, mm. where there's minimal expectations and pressure, and it's another thing to do it for Man City. And I'm just wondering, can he do it? And at what point do we have to start asking that question more seriously? I did a piece for another uh, outlet over the summer, sort of querying the amount of waste in City's uh, striking choices. And I, yeah, I would have kept. And made, making the point that they've they've basically sold Jeco because he's only scored a lot of goals every season over the last four seasons. I don't quite understand why they needed to spend twenty eight million on Boney. I I think Boney's okay. He's not extraordinary. He's obviously a bit younger than Jeco, but I I wouldn't have thought that the so Jeco went on loan with a guaranteed what thirteen million or something to Roma. I think there's always a discount. Yes, but you've effectively spent 17 million to replace Boney with Jacko Net. I'm not sure Boney's even at three years younger than Jacko is 17 million quid better than Edin Jacko. I I think it was a slightly strange bit of business, and yeah, I've not seen enough. I think the thing with with, with Boney is it's not so much that he's a bad player; it's just you don't you wonder whether he really, he really fits into that team. Right, moving on to. Chelsea, this is a column that people have talked about, and this is, we're not going to talk about Chelsea's bad form just now, just now so please relax. It's just about... Are they on a run of bad form, Chelsea? So I'm told. No, it's, a, it's, a, it's off the back of an excellent column uh, by the uh, very excellent Ollie Kay, uh, who, by the way, is not related to Celia Kay. I've just established that, even though there is a slight similarity. They are not actually... Or Peter Kay, or Gordon Kay. Gordon Kay would be the best. <laughs> Who's Gordon Kay? Played Rene in Hello, Hello. Oh, there you go. All right, all this Yorkshire banter. So, Chelsea have uh, spent a lot of money on young players, a huge amount of money. Uh, they've done very well in, in the FA Youth Cup and various youth competitions, uh, the UEFA Youth League. But the problem is um, most of these guys never make it into the first team. And what they do is then they sell them. The most notable uh, example is uh, Kevin De Bruyne, but I mean, there's others. Thorgan Hazard, Eden Hazard's brother. They, they sort of bought him for very little and sold him for a million. A lot of people are upset by this. A lot of people say like, "Oh, you shouldn't have 63 players on loan or however money they've they've had." And Ollie K is one of those people. And we've all read Ollie's column. I have my own views on it, but I'm more interested right now in Matt's views. Do you have a problem with it? Is it unethical, as Ollie suggests? A couple of things. I don't think it's unethical. So Ollie's wrong. If you're listening, no, Ollie, you're wrong. wrong. He's not wrong. He says it's unethical. You're saying it's ethical. So can't both be I right. I didn't say it was ethical. I said it was not unethical. Okay. It's a subtle difference. Um, I think I agree with Ollie in that. I think it's not. It's not immoral. It's amoral. 
I don't think it's unethical, and I think from Chelsea's point of view, it makes it makes a lot of sense, particularly financially. And the reason people are so upset by it is partly because it's been very effective for them, and it's helped them turn the club around and become, you know, self-sufficient in a way that no one thought they would. They're not reliant on Roman's handouts anymore. Having said that, my problem with it is not the ethics, but whether it's good for the players, and it it clearly isn't. I don't think those players benefit from going out on loan scattered around the world a lot of them are them but not not all of them it's an insurance policy isn't it really? they kind of they're using these well, what evidence do we have that it's players. not that's not good for the players because i mean kevin de bruyne did fairly well out of it well, yeah but he didn't just if they sold him it was slightly different he was they paid a lot of money for okay, him. miroslav stock there has not been i mean a, a, well, a, i don't i don't understand why these guys don't benefit from it because well, they come here they work with because none of with the exception of de bruyne None of them you, go on to play at the top top level. Did it, did it, but did it occur to you though that you know maybe their ambition isn't to go and play for Chelsea, but it's just to go get a great football education, make some money, and then if they're good enough, they'll go and they'll make it. They'll make it somewhere else. Ah, uh, but that's the point. So, as as Ollie said, so there was Michael Emanalo, the technical director who kind of oversees this whole thing, gave an interview to Chelsea TV on I think Thursday night and said that he can see other top clubs copying their system, which I think is true to an extent. There's other clubs who are doing something very similar. It's not that rare in Italy, as you will know, Dab, for clubs yeah, to have a lot, plenty of, clubs around Europe lot of players on loan. And he said that, what, what you've just said, which is that they come in, they get the best education possible, blah, blah, blah. It's the best thing for the players. I would counter that the best thing for the players is probably not although the facilities are great at Chelsea and you've got great coaches and all that stuff and they've got everything in place, can't fault their, their structure, is it not better for the players to just get educated at a club where they play first-team football rather than going to a club which then says, sort of watches them for a bit, then says, all right, you're, you're going to go to this other club. So you've got like a Dutch kid who signs for Chelsea, or a Serb kid. Could they not develop just as quickly, perhaps even better, by who's it? Danilo Pantic, who they signed from Partizan Belgrade? Would he not have been better off staying at Partizan, playing first-team football at Partizan, and then going to, I don't know, Everton or Valencia or whoever, rather than going to Chelsea and then having well, Chelsea control it. That's, well, the, that's I, my problem with it. I, th- I think the, the point I would make about that is these people are getting first-team football, first football, and they're getting first-team football at other clubs. I mean, Patrick Bamford, he's not on the moon. He was in Middlesbrough last year. He's at Palace this year. The fact that they, people seem to be beating them over the head for the fact, with the fact that they, don't, they never make it at Chelsea. I'd argue that out of this whole morass of players, you know, except for a couple who never made it at Chelsea because Mourinho seemed not to like them, like De Bruyne, most of these guys haven't necessarily been good enough. And running this whole system, people say it's like cheating. Well, Chelsea are running a risk with this. They say, you know, all these transfer fees that they pay on the players add up. And while people then say, oh, look, they've come out ahead and it's enabled them to be self-sustaining, it's enabled them because they sold De Bruyne for £20 million. I don't know that you're going to hit the jackpot like that every year with players because there's, when you send these guys abroad you're still paying most of their wages right? there's a, no, there's the a hedge fund element if you, if you sweep up enough mm. some of them will come off that's the point and is it ethical or not ethical but is it is it good practice for one club to have own the registrations and effectively control the future of all these players they're effectively got a first team squad of 60 odd mm. which is unsustainable but clearly none of those are going to get to play for Chelsea also Chelsea have got so many of a vested interest. I think a good example is Victor Moses. He's went on loan for West to West Ham this summer, but before he did that, he signed a new four-year contract to Chelsea. 
including a pay rise. He's never going to play for Chelsea. He's not. He's played for two minutes for Mourinho in two years in the Community Shield. He's been on loan at Stoke and Liverpool. He's not good enough. But yet they're still willing. So what's the what's the ulterior motive? What is what is Chelsea's ulterior motive in keeping Victor Moses? They're running a, because, they're running a player. They're, they're running a first team, and then they're running a player recruitment business. Chelsea. The two things. Are, he's right. The two things are completely separate. The, yeah, but if, they, if they get lucky and they find one who who is good enough to then co- go back to Chelsea, then great. But generally the plan is we will invest in 20 or 30 young players. Yes, they cost money. So even if it's a million a pop, which it isn't, you're looking at 30 million outlay plus wages. You need two of them to come off. You can sell them 15 million quid to somebody because they get this sort of Chelsea imprimatur. The other victims of it are the clubs who are selling the, t- the players. They're sweeping up talent from Eastern Europe, from the, yeah. the lower leads in, in kind of Holland and Belgium. Those but players I, have got a right I, to develop those understand. players and have a yeah, premium you know fee what? for them. You know, we're talking about developing players with premium fees, and I just bring up Adnan Yanazai. Gee, how did he end up? You know, is he from Didsbury as well, like you? I mean, I, you know, the, every club, I mean, if, if, it seems to me that, like, when you go and you sh- take 16 year olds, often for no compensation, from other clubs, that's somehow okay. No, it's not. Well, I know, but a lot of people seem to forget that, right? All those people who say, like, oh, look at all the players that Barcelona have produced and Arsenal have produced, Serge Gnabry, whatever the hell. Like, no, no, they didn't. They didn't. They go and they, they acquire these players from other clubs. And the only reason they can do that, even though it violates FIFA statutes because they're minors, is because we're within the European Union. You know, it, it seems to me like there's this tremendous double standard. I mean, Chelsea could, could do this, and they could lose enormous amounts of money on it. Um, so far, it's worked out for them. Yeah, but I think the point is, no one's saying this is new, and it's not new, really. Arsenal and Man United, other big clubs, have done similar things in the past with partner clubs, feeder clubs, whatever. The difference is the scale and the sophistication of Chelsea's operation. They've taken it to a completely new level, and every year it gets bigger. I remember a couple of years ago, I did a piece saying, oh, Chelsea have got 22 players on loan, and everyone was slightly shocked and not outraged but thought is this a good thing now it's up to 33 will it be 40, 50, 60 mm. next year and the other thing is that just on that last point Gab being good at it being good at something doesn't mean it's right so yeah they are taking a risk they're good at taking the risk and managing that risk but that doesn't make it I, I, I think unethical is a strong word I don't think it is a good thing for football that it is a success but Chelsea are clearly very good at it no one is questioning that they are good at what they're doing it's just whether they should be doing it I think we also and we don't know this for sure but it would be nice to know how negotiations are handled uh, when it's a youngish player or a young player and their parents whether they I mean are we absolutely clear that that player doesn't think he's going to play for Chelsea one day what does he when they purchase the player, does the player really get what his pathway is going to be? I did a piece with Patrick Bamford last year. You could not meet a smarter, nicer young man. And he wants to play for Chelsea. And as Alison says, when you're 16, you get the chance. You're not, you, you don't think, oh, I'll go there and then it'll be good for I'll get the Chelsea stamp and go and play for Bournemouth. These kids have ambitions and, and dreams and they back themselves. And they might be unrealistic, but they're going to give it their best shot and I think the um, the proof of the fact that this system while benefiting Chelsea is failing young players is very few of them make it to that top level other than De Bruyne who else has come through you know we talked about uh, Josh McEachern was this rising star for years and years and he's he's just not come through because Courtois the other one they, they develop but again he was bought mm, a different at stage. a higher level yeah, yeah. I think their education is great till they get to 19 and then it all fades away because they can't get in a Chelsea team they're scattered out on loan managers may not trust them they have under other pressures put upon them they're not getting the best 
education. It is very difficult to defend what Chelsea are doing as being in the interest of anyone other than Chelsea. And they have a right to do that, but it shouldn't mean it should be encouraged. Should you have a problem with Barcelona doing it? Yes, I would. I think it's... No, no, not I would. You do. I do. I I think the greatest danger to football in, in 2015 is the fact that certain half a dozen, ten, maybe a dozen clubs are hoovering up all of the talent and killing the competition. Right, time now for some quick hits. Stephen Naismith comes on and scores a hat-trick as Everton beat up Chelsea 3-1. Allison, is Roberto Martinez's crew a little better than we expected? Stone's still around embossing it, youngsters like Galloway, Barry turning back the years, Lukaku in beast mode. All's good. Yeah, no, Everton played really well. Probably the most striking element of the game was how well organised they were. They all pressed as a team. Uh, and that was in stark contrast to Chelsea, who press half the team press and half the team don't press it's it's as though they're not entirely sure what 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 tactically they're doing and so Everton took advantage of a surprisingly tentative tactical Chelsea approach and um sort of blossomed blossomed in the spotlight uh, it could have gone horribly wrong but no John Stones had one of his best ever games so it was a lovely day to be an Evertonian it's Chelsea's worst start in history since there was no football prior to the Premier League, of course. Uh, Husey, did you expect them to be this awful? Mourinho says he feels no pressure. Uh, does his nose get slightly longer when he says stuff like that? And um, did the media make too much of a big deal out of what happened uh, between him and Martinez afterwards? Not really, because it's a good story and it's indicative of the pressure he is under. A man not under pressure does not start swearing at his opposite number and doesn't get in such a to a flap about being five minutes late for his coach. So, yeah, he clearly is feeling the pressure and he's right to do so. The results are appalling and he doesn't, more worryingly, he doesn't seem to have any idea of how, how to change things. He doesn't seem to have too many options to change things because he doesn't have the biggest squad either. Leicester City storm back from two goals down to win 3-2 and they are now second. Uh, if the league began back in April, they'd be first. Rory, do you want to praise Crazy Claudio or direct your attention to one Riyad Mahrez, who would surely be player of the year if voting took place right now? Yeah, I'm looking forward to Riyad Mahrez's £23 million move to Liverpool next summer, after which he's very disappointing. Um, I want to praise Claudio Ranieri because when he was appointed, there was this sort of <laughs> look at him. He failed at Inter, he failed at Roma, he failed at Valencia, he failed at Juventus. He finished second at Roma. All this stuff. Yeah. This sort of, haha, <laughs> isn't he rubbish? Being manager of Roma, Juventus, Inter and Valencia is much harder than being manager of Leicester. Ranieri is not an elite manager. He's not Mourinho. He's not Guardiola. But he's extraordinarily experienced. You don't need to be some sort of, I don't know, divine presence to avoid relegation in the Premier League. He's a good manager. We didn't respect him enough. I'm delighted that Leicester are second. I think it's wonderful. There you go. Leicester second. He said finished second at Roma, at Juventus, at Chelsea as well. So, fitting place for them. Jake Livermore tested positive for cocaine last spring, but the FA declined to give him the customary two-year ban. Uh, later emerged that he'd suffered a family tragedy shortly before his test. Alison, are you okay with this? Should the FA even be getting involved in banning people for using recreational drugs? Well, first of all, huge sympathy to Jake Livermore. Um, but yes, the FA should be involved. I, I, a, a player has the right to know he's coming up against an opponent that isn't on some artificial substance. I've played against players who are drunk and it's not good because they don't tackle very well and it's although you're you are allowed to be boozed up when you play football, I would say let's just make sure everybody's free of everything because it's part of we go on and on about oh was it a red card? Was that a dangerous tackle or not? Well if if the player committing the tackle is doing so because his brain is impeded by having had a smoke, then yes, the FA should be involved. 
Arsenal pummel the Stoke goal and eventually win 2-0, though it could have been much more. Uh, and Giroud gets on the score sheet as well, the much maligned Giroud. So there, QZ. Any reason to be a bit more bullish about their title prospects? Are you going to go back to Giroud's rubbish, there's no defensive midfielder, blah, 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 <laughs> British spine? Actually, you've never used the British spine one, but I've heard it from some people. No, in a word. Thank you. There's no reason to be bullish about their title prospects because they'll finish third or fourth, like they always do. Uh, the best news for Arsenal is how rubbish everyone else is, but... That was the case last year, too. I still don't see them challenging Man City and... You don't win the title by winning away, at, winning at home. Stoke Arsenal always win those games. It's the games against their rivals where they fought it, which is why Saturday against Chelsea will be a fascinating game and a great chance for them to prove me wrong. Spurs win their first game of the season, beating Sunderland one 0 thanks to Ryan Mason's late, late, late goal and Mauricio Pochettino's pleased as punch. Rory, are you any wiser about their prospects this year now that Hongwen Son is on board? It's a good signing, Son. It's, it's like it's, it's like they, they, they signed some like you know some no name off the street, but he was he's like the ninth most expensive transfer this summer. Yeah, there's he's a twenty three. He's a, a player. There's a really weird and I can't quite sort of articulate it well enough. But there's a really weird perspective about transfers. So like in the middle of the whole time, the Spurs haven't signed anybody, isn't it terrible? They spent ten point seven million quid on Clinton and GA, and it. And it kind of got literally barely got mentioned. It was as though they signed a youth prospect. It was extraordinary. Same with Son. Son is a proven performer. He's not an out-and-out striker, but he will get goals. He will make them dangerous. Everything that you, you, you've seen with him over the last what three years in Germany is really positive. I don't think his signing makes changes their prospects particularly. They'll finish fifth or sixth. It's Tottenham, which leads me on to Gab. A question that I'm quite intrigued by: Does it says here the biggest derby in the universe took place over the weekend? Now. That, I presume, is the Milan derby, but it, it has th- was, it, was it not a Super Classico this weekend as well in Buenos Aires? Yes, the problem with, uh, you are right, uh, of course, Boca and River, it was, uh, it was Carlos Tevez's first Super Classico. And that is the biggest derby in the universe, the Super Classico. Um, they would say that. I refer you to the number of uh, European Cups won, which, of course, Boca and River have never won because <laughs> they're not allowed to play in it. <laughs> Um, but no, yes, it was it was the Derby de la Madonina, Inter and Milan, of course, for those who don't know, uh, both trying to bounce back this year. Roberto Mancini has done it by getting all these big physical players like Felipe Melo and Jeffrey Kondogbia, whereas uh, Sinisa Mihailovic has done it by trying to be a bit more light in your feet, a bit more attack-minded. The Braun won over the uh, Technique Inter won 1-0. Great goal by Freddy Guarín. And you'll be pleased to know, Rory, that Mario Balotelli came on 25 minutes from the end and was arguably Milan's best player. Came close to scoring several times. I'm a Bari fan. I don't care about Mario Balotelli. How did Bari do? Mario... care less about Bari, but Mario Balotelli um, has been to Bari. (laughs) (laughs) So there. That's all we've got time for today. Many, many thanks to my guests today. Rory K. Smith, (coughs) Alison Rudd, and Matt Hughes. And funny enough, all three of you are... Basically, neighbours in the grand scheme of things, all coming in from uh, uh, extreme southwest London. Um, so, as does Matthew Sides. So perhaps next time we'll just go and tape the podcast at his house. Now, you can subscribe, so make sure you press that subscribe button. We're going to be back next week. And remember, you can get exclusive <laughs> football, rugby, and cricket highlights. Big test series coming up, I believe, Husey. England and uh, Pakistan. Where is it? Somewhere in the Gulf, I would assume. Correct. UAE. There you go. And you, is it Abu Dhabi, Dubai, the other one that everybody, nobody can ever that's remember? Al-Khaimah. Oh, is that where it is? Yeah. There you go. Oh, no, no, that's the other Emirate. 
that nobody ever remembers. Okay. Uh, anyway, you get all of this free as part of your subscription, and it's just £12 for a 12-week trial. Just search The Times online. Of course, you don't just get all these video highlights. You get excellent content uh, as well. Uh, and not just in sport, I might add. Uh, till next week, bye-bye. Your subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times now comes with access to every Barclays Premier League goal. Refresh your app, choose your team, accept notification, and you're away. The train is now approaching. Junction at platform. Passengers, airport, please stay on board. Next stop, road station. iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.